0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Computer Weekly Downtime Upload Podcast. I'm Cliff Sarin and my guest today is Eric Muntz from MailChimp. I've just been reading your LinkedIn, Eric. Uh, you were the uh, Chief Technology Officer at MailChimp uh, and it says here that uh, You've been recognized as an Enterprise Finalist for the 2020 Georgia CIO of the Year Orbee Awards. Uh, And it says, for your achievements, outstanding leadership, management, effectiveness and business value created through technology innovation. Gosh, that sounds a mouthful. That sounds very prestigious, actually. Eric, uh, just to kick things off, uh, would you mind sharing a little bit of background about yourself? and about the award and, and your day job, your job at MailChimp, your current mail job at MailChimp even it's changed slightly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. So, um, first, thanks so much for having me. Uh, happy to be here. Hi to all your listeners. Um, so, uh, yeah, Eric months, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, that award you mentioned, uh, was from the state of Georgia, um, or from an organization in Georgia. Um, Very prestigious, obviously. uh, Really honored to have been nominated for it. Um, The the gentleman who won it is a fantastic CIO and does a great great job. Um, I look at all of those things as team awards. So if you want to really know about me, um, I try very hard to put team first. Um, As CTO, I ran a team of about 550 or so folks uh, spread out across the US, Mm -hmm. um, just doing phenomenal work for MailChimp's customers. Um, my background, I went to to college in Auburn, Alabama. I'm from Honolulu, Hawaii. I say that my superpower is I can make any conversation about Hawaii. So I guess I sort of just did that here. Um, fantastic place, greatest place on earth. Um, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. Now I have, uh, two teenage kids, uh, and have been married for almost 20 years. Um, and yeah, I, uh, Next month, I will have been at Mailchimp for 13 years. So that's a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. So I was uh, about the third engineer hired to do product engineering work, um, and then uh, you know did a lot of work to grow the team and grow the platform and the architecture and uh, get us to where we are today with 13 million and more customers, and uh, now a part of Intuit uh, for a little more than a year. Mm.
0: Um. What are some of the big engineering projects that are going on at MailChimp?
1: Yeah, going on right now, there's a couple of really awesome things going on. Um, There's actually a launch, I think, coming out today. Um, We feature flag things, so it'll roll out sort of slowly and then hit all audiences soon. Um, But there's a thing called Campaign Manager. Um, And uh, I believe it's the first tool of its kind um, that provides a single source of truth to um, sort of advanced marketers who mm. need to, to plan and view multiple, um, multi-channel and long-running campaigns. So instead of just looking at it as like, I've got my audience, I've got an email, I've got my audience, I've got an automation, um you get a full calendar that really shows you and visualizes everything that's going on across mm. all of the channels and keeping long-running campaigns going and really ties everything together um it's it's just the first rollout and as we usually do the first rollout um is just the first of many many more to come uh we yes. really believe heavily and in, in iteration and viewing what's going on with with customers and and mm. interviewing them and figuring out what's what's best to do next so yeah there will be more coming after that <clears throat> um Okay. And then the other thing that I'm really excited about is webhooks. So um, Hmm. we are launching outbound webhooks in our automations uh, uh, architecture that'll allow for our customers to um, use automation to speak to any other application, right? Hmm. So um, you can imagine. Uh, MailChimp customer sends a survey, like an NPS score style survey that says, how did you like our service or how did you like, you know, the the shoes you bought or whatever else. And once they take that, uh, they can then set up an automation that says after they've answered the survey or if they've answered it this way or that way, then send a webhook off to some other service. And so that service can really be anything.
0: Okay. I mean, I just want to pick up on one point there and. It's, it's mainly for, you know, my naivety on this, but, uh, it would help our, um, listeners as well. Um, what is the difference between a webhook and say an API, an application sure. programming interface? Yeah. Why, yeah. So, why, why webhook? <clears throat> w-
1: yeah. So webhook is, um, it, the, the way that, the way that I would explain it here, um, an API is a little more strict and a mm-hmm. little more per, like spe- specifically formed to a specific endpoint, yes. right? So an API, you would say, I'm going to call this endpoint with this authentication protocol, uh, and I'm going to make a call in this way. Some mm-hmm. of them are are REST specific, so you do you know GET request or POST or or PUTs or whatever else to make changes. Um, whereas a webhook is just going to make a, a request to any URL. Yes. With any set of tokens, any set of values, um, and any sort of authentication protocol, Mm. actually. You can just stick in front of it. So um, MailChimp's API is really, really powerful for folks to get data in and out of MailChimp in a very formed and specific way. Yes. And then these webhooks are MailChimp calling out to any external service Mm. so that there doesn't actually have to be an existing API connection between the two. It can just be... Um, and actually, you can make API requests with these webhooks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a great example is you might use an SMS service and say, you know, I want to, I after this has happened, I want to call the SMS service to send a text message to my customer. Mm. Well, the, the SMS service will have an API endpoint configured and set up. And so you can use this webhook to make those API requests, right? Um, an example I've been playing with that I'm going to put up some Uh, documentation on for our for our customers is how to is how to send slack messages right so so i have a little automation running that i uh in my in my uh mailchimp account that i use to communicate with our team Mm. and when someone does a specific action i get a slack message that says you know the person clicked your clicked your message or opened your email or whatever else amazing (laughs) um yeah it's just super handy and you know if i could keep going Mm. um you can chain them together
0: Yes. Yeah, right, yeah.
1: so you could have you could have an automation that says send a webhook and then the very next thing, send another webhook and another webhook and you can just fire it off to, you know, maybe four different services okay. if, if you need to do that, yeah. Uh, just moving on a bit, Eric. Um,
0: so in your intro, you were talking about um, enge- engineering and teams and I wanted to ask you about um, how... How do you bring on board new engineers and um, and what benefits have you seen by doing by bringing them into into projects, into some of these big projects or some of the existing projects? has uh, how, how it? How has it been helping Mailchimp?
1: Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> it helps the team in a ton of ways. I mean, obviously, we're trying to get a lot done, and I think just about every software development shop feels like they don't have quite enough people to meet their ambitions Mm. right so prioritization is is extremely important and extremely difficult so bringing in new folks can certainly help with that um and you know i think what you want to do philosophically is bring in folks who are going to help round out the team uh you may have a team that has a bunch of great folks uh doing front-end development but not Maybe so great on the back end or on, um, you know, performance tuning or Mm. database development or whatever else. So you look to fill those gaps specifically. Um, and that tends to really help as you're building out teams and provide benefit to customers and benefit to everyone else. Um, one of the things I really believe in, and you know, if someone asks me what I'm most proud of over the 13 years I've been here, Mm. um, about 10 or 11 years ago, we started, um, Uh, An apprenticeship program, and the program was built to bring folks from other departments at the company Mm. into engineering. Um, So it might be that there's a a customer service agent, or someone in QA, or someone in marketing Mm. that um, is interested in coding and knows enough, but maybe has a hard time breaking through at an external company. Yes, and so we then um, interview Mm. them. You know, make sure they know the fundamentals. Um, and then give them a three month position on the engineering team working with, you know, a group of engineers and it's sort of a a try to buy. Okay. Um, Where at the end of it, uh, the engineering team decides whether they want to hire the person and the person decides whether they really want to be an engineer on the team. Mm. And if they do, they end up joining the engineering team. If they don't, they go back to wherever it was they were working before. Um, And it has just created such a great, a uh, group of engineers. We had, we had at one point. I don't know the current number, but at one point we had over seventy folks in Mailchimp's engineering department who had mm. started at Mailchimp not in engineering. Oh, that's amazing. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to. Sorry, I was, go I was sorry. I was going to follow up on that. Um, just um, you know, we we know that there's. A, I mean, you've touched on it anyway. That it's really hard to hire people and, and get skills in, um, and clearly, I mean, an apprenticeship program is a great way of. Of of building uh, skills in house, um, do do you or um, do do you work with external partners, or is it, or is it very much building this core competency in house?
1: We don't. Yeah, it is all building the core competency in house. At one point, we did uh, an external apprenticeship where we partnered with the Boys and Girls Club of Atlanta mm. and a, a group called uh, Treehouse. Mm. Treehouse provided the education materials and the training, and the Boys and Girls Club of Atlanta provided um, the people who yes. wanted to do the work. Um, we haven't done that in a few years. We're, we're still focused internally for that. Um, and then all of our hiring, we have uh, in-house uh, talent talent folks, recruiters, mm-hmm. um, and our engineering management team and our engineering team does all of the interviewing. We yeah. um, we believe really heavily in um, sort of a choose-your-own-adventure approach for hiring because we want to make sure that you as an, a potential incoming engineer are allowed to show how you work at your best, and that's not always the same for everyone. So someone might want to actually get on a whiteboard and write code. Mm -hmm. Um, Someone may want to do pair programming. Some people may just want to have a conversation about architecture and infrastructure and how it works. Some people may want to take home exercise. Um, And so we try to make sure that because what we want to do is if there's one position and six candidates, we want to see all six of those people at their very best Mm -hmm. uh, and try to try to pick the very best from that. So we try to make sure that um, things are tailored to the extent we can possible for the candidate. That's the key point, isn't it? I mean, it takes me on to my next question,
0: actually. It's, uh, you know, with, with, by tailoring all, all of these um, different ways that people like to work, um, I mean, how how are you able to bring it all together so that you do have a, you know an engineering team? I mean, a team is a, a team, right? It's a, team, a team is a team. <laughs> That's not a very good way of saying <laughs> it, but you know what I mean. <laughs>
1: Yeah. A bunch of people yeah. who work really well together, that's what a team is. Absolutely. Yeah, a team is a team and there's no I in team, right? Um, so, yeah. Um, well, we, we center everything really around our engineering team mission. Mm. Uh, so this is a mission statement that um, we developed a few years ago um, that has really served us rel- well. And our team mission is that we provide marketers with production-ready software designed to help them grow and we succeed through togetherness, momentum, and pragmatism. Mm-hmm. And so really, if you pull out four key phrases there, it's production-ready, um, togetherness, momentum, and pragmatism. Yes. And uh, I could run through each four of those if you want, but they are they are sort of the four stools that make our teams work really well together. If any one of them are necessarily out of whack, um, we're going to not be serving customers well, and we're not going to be serving the business well, and the team's not going to be serving each other well. Mm. Um, And so we we really look at those four pillars, and then we build our career levels and all of our feedback mechanisms and everything around how the teams are doing across those four areas.
0: I mean, I think it would be helpful if you could, uh, you know, give a sort of practical example of how those four pillars kind of come together and how they work.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, um, production ready, you know, uh, is easily confused um, as being, like, bu- bug-free and perfect. Um, mm. And that is not actually what we're looking for. Uh, essentially, production-ready is, um, it means that uh, when you launch something, it will be observable and it will be observed, yes. right? So um, there's a social contract that we have for releasing, mm. and, you know, we call it production-ready, that when you release some code, because we deploy 100 times a day, we yes. are CICD, we're just basically always deploying um that you watch it and you make sure that it's performing in the way you expect it to perform Mm. and if it's not that you take accountability and very quickly uh correct the fact that it's not performing the way it's expected to perform um and that then leads to, to togetherness because you probably can't do that alone so um, you need to be working with teammates so that your teammates understand what changes you're making, why you're making those changes, uh, maybe what problems you're facing and, and how to talk to and work together to overcome them, um, which then leads to pragmatism um, because, you know, uh, as you start to get together with other folks and talk about problems, you can start to sort of astronaut architect things, right? Mm-hmm. And look for ways to make them way overly perfect. And it's the team's responsibility together to make sure that, you know, it's going to fit the long-term needs, but it has yes. short-term benefit, mm-hmm. right? And that you can then observe it and figure out how to make it better from there. All of that. Comes together with momentum. Mm-hmm. You've got to get things moving quickly. Um, small businesses need us innovating and need us moving quickly. Yeah. Um, and so, um, it, I, I have a great story that just happened with some engineers. If you mm-hmm. if you have the time for me to walk it through is, it, that yes, I think d- demonstrates all of this. So, um, we had a a fairly large customer um, who who I won't name that um, had about eight eight and a half million uh, email addresses on their list. So. They are, you know, fairly large. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not our largest, um, but fairly large. And their business requires that they send time critical emails. So they would send like coupons and say, "This is only valid for the next four hours." Yes. Um, so they sent a campaign to eight million people. Um, and it was taking a very long time to send. Um, it looked like it was taking two or three times as long as their normal campaigns would send. Mm. Uh, so it was taking about 15 hours to finally get this wow. full campaign out, which is not no. not mm. an okay. Right, That is not production ready. It's not yeah. okay. <laughs> um, so, you know, they reach out. Um, we get some engineers looking at it and, um, you know, worked late into the night. Uh you know, looked at what's going on with some database queries, thought maybe we needed to index a a particular column and and adjust a query. So we made some changes and we felt pretty confident that it was going to get better uh, when they send the next morning. So Mm. they go send the next morning. We get together and look at it and we were wrong. Uh, It was still sending very slowly. So we broke into two groups. and one of the groups was just going to actively trace exactly what was happening to see where things were slow. And the other was going to uh, examine maybe a potential idea of a way to parallelize what they're doing so that it can go faster. Hmm. Um, the, the tracing team actually found some code we had put in place um, that just got ramped up feature flag wise to, to do some sort of back end machine learning work that um, was slowing things down. So hmm. they, they reverted that change. You know, went togetherness and alerted that team and said, yeah. "Hey, we, we found this. We need to um, do some things there," and that sped things up a good bit. Mm. And the the, the parallelization team came back and figured out a way to do a map reduce across the the eight million, um, and and it was a little risky. They were like, you know, we don't we don't know with high confidence that this is safe. I tested mm. it on you know my own account of like three hundred emails and it worked, but we don't have a whole extreme confidence that it's safe. Yes. Um, And that's where I stepped in because I was helping with the on-call situation and said, you know, I will take business responsibility. Customer's already mad. Um, I don't think that it's going to get worse necessarily. We could just revert back to what's happening. Let's try it. Mm. So we did it and we were able to get their campaign sent out in under four hours. Amazing. Um, That same team then just didn't Mm. stop and Mm. kept working and looking at it and found another way to split the campaign to add parallelization across split up campaigns that were, um, you know, mutually exclusive and collectively exhaustive across the list. Mm. And now for the entire payload generation process of sending that email, because there's this whole other thing that goes on with ISPs and email that, <laughs> that yeah. I'll save you and your listeners from. Um, but the payload generation part where you start sending it to the ISPs for that entire email can happen um, in under two hours now. Yeah, sure. Um, um, and so it was just like, you know, all four all four pillars sort of coming together. Mm, okay, um,
0: just I mean, I think this would be really interesting for, for our um, IT leaders who are listening in. Uh, what are the um, what are the warning signs when when things don't seem to be going right with the teams? We're not talking about that, you know a, te- a technical problem going wrong. We're talking about something within the team not working the team dynamics not working team dynamics yeah
1: Mm. yeah it's um for me what i have observed is it is time to decision making Mm. um when the team starts to uh group think a little too much or become fearful and maybe paralyzed to make decisions there's there's something off right um and it's it could be Trust in the strategic direction. There could be it could be that they don't trust, you know, how leadership is going to perceive whether they succeed or fail. It could be that they're not trusting each other. Hmm. Um, but when teams are taking a very long time to make decisions, and then their decisions are um, wishy-washy or, or or sort of not 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 final, their yes. decisions are well, we're gonna test. We're gonna we we decided yes to all the things Mm. (laughs) and and we'll go out and say sure we will just do all four of the things instead of having chosen one and we'll let users decide maybe which one is best and and um you know i have stumbled on some teams that were you know a b split testing things that just shouldn't be a b split tested Mm. right like i i've changed this word or this little piece of language or you know i know users are struggling with finding this this part of the app so i moved it I moved it, but then I am A/B testing whether moving it actually fixed anything or not. Right. And mm. it's like, you have the evidence that, that it's already not working. There's something, there's something amiss if you're just not confident enough to make what seems like a really easy decision super quickly. Mm. Um, because we've built everything around being able to roll things back super quickly. Right. Um, I just,
0: just want to ask you one more thing actually. Uh, uh, I mean, the, 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 what what you're talking about seems to be around um, the the teams not coming to decisions quickly, not, not 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 sorting out things quickly because they they can't decide what's the right approach. Uh, there is, you know, what what we sometimes see is where someone takes a lead, like the person with the loudest voice. So this happens on social media, and I'm sure it happens in many many teams. The person with, you know, who who can. Who who has the most ideas? Not necessarily the very best idea. And this is about, um, the questions are really about um, diversity in in the way people think. And uh, some people are very, uh, uh, you know, that they need to think a lot before they speak and some people speak before they think <laughs> sorry I have one of those and uh, <laughs> so it's how does that balance out because you know the the quieter ones the you know those sorts of people are not going to have much of a voice if there's a lot of shouting going on you know whether it's physically as in like a, a Zoom call or Teams call or whatever in a meeting room or even in a Slack conversation where someone with the most, you know, things to say wins out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a phenomenal question. And, um, if I had the bulletproof answer for that one, um, I could solve maybe all of the world's problems. So I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna claim that I have all of the solutions to that. Um, I have seen some really great examples. Um, mm. One of the things, you know, the the pandemic, I don't want to laud it in any way. It was a terrible experience for um, the vast majority of the world. Um, but one of the things that got better in my experience during the pandemic was Zoom calls and etiquette. Mm. And um, I saw two things happen in Zoom calls that were, I thought, extremely helpful for the folks, like myself, often who just aren't comfortable being the loudest voice in a room mm-hmm. and one is using hand raising. Um, and so we oftentimes in zoom calls will raise hands and someone will say, Hey, before we move on, I see so-and-so or, or we'll just stop the conversation and so-and-so raised their hand. Mm. Let's, let's hear from them. Um, a- another piece of etiquette is everyone is muted all the time. And when you come off mute, that's your signal that, that, that you want to speak. Mm. Um, that has worked really well. And then, I have an example that's going to seem like I'm um, I'm kissing up to new leadership at Mailchimp, but <laughs> our we have a, a newly appointed CEO named Rania, um, and she just very directly calls out in senior leadership meetings. Okay, I've heard enough from so and so and so and so. Up next, I want to hear from you know Eric and Person B who have been quiet to make sure that we've heard from everyone in the room mm. um and it's just it's just so refreshing to 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 know that you're going to have time and space made for you and the more a leader does that in meetings you start to expect that it's coming and then as the quiet person in the room you no longer have your you know armpits and palms sweating trying to figure out when you can jump in you mm. know the leader is going to make room for you to jump in yes yeah. um and that's just been A really really phenomenal experience in in my eyes the Mm. the only other thing I'd like to say is um your note about you know the people who need to think a little while first Mm. I think is very very important and so I try to end all meetings and discussions by saying if if you you know oftentimes like me needed to think about this for a little while please hit me up on slack or you know respond by you know, we have to make a decision by time X. <laughs> but if you've, if you've mm. given me your thoughts before then, um, it is it is totally received and letting people know that, you know, when, once you hang up the discussion, that their opportunity to provide input isn't over, I mm. think is also very freeing and, and, and very crucial.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, actually. It's uh, sometimes you, you bounce off people's ideas, and it, but it takes you time to formulate what what it is you want to say and being able to do it offline not in a live meeting it's uh, yeah, it, can, can, it helps considerably okay um sort of final i guess finally um i mean clearly there's been a bit of a security breach at um, mail mail mailchimp recently there was a blog post about it uh, i'm not asking you to go into any of the details about that specifically but it does seem like it was a social social engineering attack and I, I wanted to ask you really around just generally how organizations i i know these things can't be can't you know obviously they can't be stopped their social engineering attack but how can you minimize the risk uh, what 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 can we what can we do to no you know no matter how much user, end user education you give there's, there's someone's going to click on the button if they if if they're caught at the wrong moment uh, uh, but what 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 can what do you think we we can do as you know IT leaders business leaders just to make it far more difficult for those who want to damage the organization
1: Again, if I had a silver bullet question for that, um, I could I could save a lot of I could save a lot of uh, a lot of consternation and stress across the world. Um, it is it is really tough social engineering and absorbing um, you know social engineering and preparing for it is extremely difficult. Um, you know, I would encourage other leaders to first and foremost talk about this a lot mm. um, and just. Make it part of uh, onboarding training. Um, there are some good books out there. The Art of Deception, I think, is one that um, you know it is it, we've we've read in the past at Mailchimp. Um, we have had coffee hour speakers come in in the past to talk about this um, and demonstrate what it's like uh, to do this. Um, we have our security professionals talk about this often, mm. um, and it's just really education, right? Um, you know, if I could take it personal for a moment, I'm always thinking about my parents, right? My mm. aging parents who have bank accounts. And my mom is like, oh, I just love clicking on the links I can. I'm i like, yeah, mom, yeah. please do not never, ever, ever click on a link that says it's your bank account. Only go, you know, go to your bank account directly. Like actually type in the mm. name of the bank into your browser. Um and so just, you know, that type of training across the world and, you know, across our enterprises and making sure that people understand it and, you know, being open to talk about it, being um, humble when you talk about it, because I think the, the 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 thing we all want to avoid is someone falling prey to it and being too embarrassed to come forward. Um, and so... You know, I just encourage all leaders to talk about it and talk very openly about it. And every single organization is going to be extremely different in how they, you know, what their tools are and all of that. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I don't have a ton of great recommendations there. Just do the best you can, use mm. the best tools you can find. But, um, but it's not just your sorry, 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 Eric. But, Eric yeah. but
0: it's not just your problem. I think the as in totally. you as your organization has if. An organisation comes under attack; they feel that they're the only one. Uh, I haven't seen enough in the way of sharing best practice. Share, I mean, there, there is in the security community, uh, but that's the security community. There doesn't seem to be. Well, you know, this is a positive that we know that something has gone wrong because everyone, every other organisation, now knows that something has gone wrong, and can protect themselves from this particular type of attack or this type it does happen in some cases you know some of the um, some of the big open source vulnerabilities that mm-hmm. were fixed you know remarkably well uh, you know there were shock horror this is this is gonna take down the internet there's for the headlines right but sure, yeah. actually these things <clears throat> were resolved and that only happened because people talked about it
1: yeah I think talking about um, vulnerabilities and software and patching them um, is going to be a lot a lot easier and more pointed than talking about social engineering attacks right because Mm -hmm. there's there's people involved and you want to make sure that um you know blame is kept to a minimum
0: i do actually have one further question for you but i I was doing some background i can't bring it up at the moment but you wrote some very interesting essays um around your background and Mm, um, race and diversity and some of the challenges around that and um I just thought it was, you know, very sort of a first brave of you to do that, uh, because it, and it's hard. It's ha- it's hard to, I think, in a culture that you feel that you you're 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 battling against. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to say, well, look, this is, you know, this is the right approach. This this is my approach. This is how I got through these things. How how would you approach? Uh, you know, if someone is, you know, from a from an. A, ethnic background as a minority and they're coming into an organization that is predominantly of, of of a different race and a different culture and we're all told that diversity is a good thing but that doesn't always work you know it doesn't always work because it's hard you because there's the positive uh, you know bias and there's a negative bias and the problem is that the person who is has coming in may feel that they have to overcompensate and it gets lost. What, what, do we, you know, what, what are you gaining? I, I just wanted your, your, your views on that. And,
1: uh, yeah, <clears throat> well, that one is even tougher than the ones I said, I don't have a silver bullet for earlier. <laughs> um, you know, the, the closest I've been in that situation to speak from, from personal experience mm. is, um, my stepfather is a software entrepreneur mm. and he's, he's black. Yes. And, um, you know, I very much don't look black, so I um, am half black, but I walk around the world being treated white.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, when I started working f- in software, I my first job was for him, um, yes. and it was when I was in college. And um, you know, people would discover pretty early that I was his son, mm. um, and and you know they kind of do the a, a little bit of a double take because we have very different skin. Um, but then everything that I tried to do was to make sure that they forgot that I was his son. Cause yes. I just wanted to be treated like a colleague.
0: Mm.
1: I didn't want to be treated like the boss's kid. Yes. Yeah. And so I never left at 5 PM. Right. Mm. Like I, you know, when the, when the, when the, when the whistle, whistle, the bell yeah. rang, right. <laughs> I, I was like, I'm going to stay a little extra and make sure that people see I work hard and that i I'm not here just because I'm the boss's kid. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I, I can't say that I ever knew whether I had overcome that or not. Um, and so I think that that's maybe the closest I can get in my own personal experience to what it may be like to be, you know, a woman in technology who's surrounded mostly by men or uh, the first black member of an all white team or, you know, maybe the first uh, Hispanic or foreign member of, you know, an all American team Mm. Um, and trying to, you know, trying to understand what insecurities or deeply held beliefs those people may have that are driving their actions or could drive their actions that might be, you know, off-putting or confusing or whatever, I think is, is really tough. And Mm. I, I wish we could figure out how to just, again, talk more openly about it and make it not mysterious. I have a really great executive coach who I just actually spoke with this morning, mm. um, who's got a background in therapy, and I'm a big believer in therapy. Um, and what what he brings to life is that we all have these deeply held beliefs that are ingrained when we are children. And it's one of those things that, you know, in the, it, it's certainly not a colleague's job to fix that deeply held belief or become my therapist mm. but I believe that in a business culture if we do really try to treat each other like humans and we find out what each other's maybe deeply held beliefs are that might mm. not be wrong right that we can then be there for each other without having to go quite as far as being therapist or, yeah, or, or yes. whatever else yes, right but like course. if you and I are working together on a team and you knew that um, I am I fall suspect at times to um, feeling like I'm not good enough Mm. or never good enough. You might then know that, um, that it takes a while for me to put together a a pull request, right. Or commit code Mm. and, and, and how I'm going to react to my code being rejected, which it should be, if it's not going to be good enough. Mm. Right. But you might know and empathize with the fact that like, I am not rejecting you or your code. We just need to fix this particular thing, right? Yes, and yeah. then, and then it will. But I think that if we figure out how to, we figure out how to just talk about these types of things, mm. right? As opposed to being like, oh, you know, everyone's the same. I'm not going to address the fact that you're different or that I'm different or that whatever mm. else. I'm one of those people who really thinks like saying I don't see color or anything like that is actually uh, very much not what we want to do. Yeah, I think that, we that want seems to, say to be very
0: different there seems to be very big brush strokes around diversity yeah yeah and as as this discussion that we just had you know highlights it's there's there are so many subtleties yes and it's <laughs> it, it is actually down to very very much down to individuals and you know we, there, there isn't nothing you know there, there's no playbook for this it's uh, almost you know if one has to treat you as an as an individual human being and understand understand the challenges and the issues that you face and and how you know with that pull request what 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 is the background (laughs) to why why you feel the way you feel about these things yeah absolutely yeah well said yes yeah okay well eric thank you ever so much for taking part in the podcast today and thank you very much for listening goodbye